Hi, I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life, because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today, my guest is Avner Mendelssohn. Avner has been with the Lumi Group since 2007 and was named President and CEO of Lumi US in 2013. Prior to joining the Lumi Group, Avner was a senior consultant with McKinsey & Company based out of London, and before that, he served in the Israeli Defense Forces for three years. Avner earned his bachelor's degree in economics and international relations from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and his MBA from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. Avner lives in New York City with his wife and kids. Avner and I recorded this episode remotely during the pandemic, and as we know, technology isn't always our friend. I apologize in advance if there are any issues with the audio. And so without further ado, let's get right into the interview. Avner, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to see you, sort of, across the uh, across the Zoom. You know, you and I have been in touch during this quarantine a, a bunch of times, and you've shared some of these amazing weekly missives that, that you've sent out to your employees, and I've gotten to read them. I, I'd love you to just start off by, I want the listeners to hear about them. You know, can you talk about your decision to start writing these letters and the kinds of things you address in them? And then that the impact that you think it's had on your employees and and you, quite frankly. Sure. So first of all, uh, great to see Erica. I wish we were uh, in the physical realm and not just in the uh, virtual one. But you know, for a virtual one, it works uh, pretty well. So uh, I'm I'm glad to uh, to join you here. Um, you know, I, I think that it started with um, with my um, need. Or drive to share and being, it's like like you like an overload that you find that it, I couldn't just go on a town hall and or put a presentation and see everything I wanted to say. And there's something frankly cathartic for me. So it's very selfish driven in terms of um, a medium where you can spend a couple of hours over the weekend. Um, it's almost like me sitting on the, the uh, therapist uh, couch uh, with myself, reflecting uh, on things. And it started from there. And I wanted to share. I wanted to uh, talk about where we are, what are the uh, priorities. But, you know, I wanted to make it sort of share of what's in my head, not just what's going on out there, what's going on through my head. Um, and with being so overwhelmed, uh, it, I found that just creative writing was the best solution uh, um, to start. And, and yeah, it worked. That's great. So what kind of feedback did you get from people and what kind of, you know, you started this when we first got into quarantine, we're now three months in. And so what, you know, what have been some of the, the issues that you've tackled through these, these letters? Yeah. So some, some I get, you know, I usually send them pretty late in the evening and I'm sort of almost the first ones I acknowledge guys, the fact that I'm sending them these this late in the evening doesn't mean I expect anyone to read them or answer them. It's just my own preference because I took a little bit more time during the day. Um, and so uh, I do get replies sometimes, um, you know, very late at night or early in the morning. And it, it ranges from people just sharing, thank you for sharing on, and, you know, reflecting on an experience that I have or shared that they're saying, oh, I also have the same situation and here's how I dealt with it. Or thank you for, you know, sharing this idea. This is how I'm dealing with things or follow up questions and things I shared about the company. Feedback sometimes. Of, 
hey, Avner, it sounded really positive. Is it really that positive? Or is it just you trying to make it too positive? Or uh, just questions of, hey, I would love to hear from you about X and not just and Y. Or comments even on books uh, uh, that I read or programs that I've watched and people saying, I really liked it, I didn't like it. Or other suggestions. Oh, you mentioned this story of uh, this author. You should read the other one. So it's sort of a very free flowing. And um, yeah, so it's a great way to get like actually through email, which is the worst way of having two-way communication, honestly, but somehow actually getting some unfiltered uh, interactions with people. Well, one, one of the notes I, I read said at the end of it, you know, please try to dis, I think you said something in the notes saying, just because I'm writing this late at night does not mean I'm expecting you to work. And you really were very explicit in saying that because I think in many organizations, when managers, leaders, CEOs are writing things at all hours, there is this expectation that, oh, maybe I should be doing that too, especially because I'm, I'm at home and things are so up in the air. So I think that that's important. And I saw, I wrote down, one of them you wrote, you know, finally, please try to disconnect and unwind this weekend, read a book, binge on a TV series, take a walk, you know, or write a letter uh, to someone that you have, you know, gratitude for. So I think it's, you know, really personal, both in terms of you sharing what you've been doing, but also urging people to honor that relationship with themselves. And, you know, that's really what the, this podcast is about and my work is about. You know, how do you honor relationships with others, your colleagues, your boss, the people that work for you, but but also with yourselves? And so I think, you know, it sounds like you're leading by example. And do you have a sense of, of the impact? I mean, how has have employees been engaged during this time? Look, I, our uh, our best indication of, of engagement um, is a pulse survey that we've uh, launched. We do it on a quarterly basis in sort of a normal uh, pre-COVID-19 uh, times. And since uh, we started uh, moving to work remotely, which is three months now, wow, really hard to, uh, to comprehend, we've uh, made uh, a point to do those pulse surveys not on a quarterly basis, but a monthly basis. We ask some of the same questions, so we have some more of a time series apples to apples comparison, as well as some more tailored questions uh, about the current situation. And then, frankly, the most important piece is just leaving room for general comments, um, sort of open-ended, a couple of open-ended questions. Again, nothing that takes more than five to 10 minutes to, to be filled. And we have basically, you know, anywhere between 80 and 90% uh, of the, the people um, um, filling and replying and almost everyone writing something, not just the you know, one to five, but really writing their comments or suggestions or responses, which is just, that to me shows the most uh, about the level of engagement. But then the results have been amazing. Our, our scores on, on employee engagement, on satisfaction with communication, on understanding their role within the organization, on how their manager uh, and leaders directly interact, communicate with them, are the highest... Uh, um, we've had since we've uh, launched the survey, uh, you know, six years ago. That, I mean, that is, so that's amazing. That's unbelievable at a time where there's so much uncertainty. People are so nervous, feeling disconnected. They're working from home, homeschooling their kids. I mean, to get that level of engagement is is truly unbelievable in, in this moment. 
And I do. I think a lot of it comes down to leadership and, you know, again, this idea of honoring relationships. So I often ask people, you know, their take on the importance of relationships. Clearly you get it. You know, how did you learn how to do that? Or can you tell me a little bit about your your background, how you grew up or your parents? You know, was there a moment where all of a sudden something clicked and said, wow, you know, I need, you know, relationships are critical to my success or has it always been somewhat implicit? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I wish I had a sort of a, a story of, of uh, you know, a coming to Jesus moment or an epiphany or a philosophy that sort of uh, developed. Uh, um, but it's been pretty implicit. And I think it sort of became on the more explicit or sort of a more deliberate or sort of mindful in, in my leadership role over the last uh, you know, seven uh, or so years. Uh, it, you know, I, I grew up in a very sort of, uh, I don't say normal, I actually grew up without my family in a way because I grew up in a kibbutz in Israel in the first five or six years where you grew up in a kibbutz, actually the kids are separate from the kids in a way and grew up almost as a commune uh, separately. But later on, I, I sort of grew up in a small town in the northern part of Israel in a pretty uh, normative environment. I've been a social kid, but nothing to write home about beyond that. Um, nothing that would indicate anything of a passion to build relationship. I think it's just, there's some something in, I believe in all of us, I think to me, it might be a little bit more explosive. There's always an element of a void that is almost like calling you to be filled. And, and the way you want to fill that is with some element of call it intimacy. And intimacy is not just in your sort of romantic life engagement, but just building meaningful and deep relationships. And I think that's something that, um, whatever, Come to learn is that you know this is obviously a biological and chemical uh, a need a part of our evolution as human beings and 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 you know over not just tens of thousands of years but millions of years and I think I'm just more um, you know it's more exposed uh, uh, for me and I really uh, I get excited it's not just the extrovert in me it's, it's really I get uh, really excited and passionate and energized when I get to connect with people. And, and I really believe that that serves as a way to build sort of the most important building block for also not just your personal life, but your professional life, which is trust. And I think trust is built on real authentic relationships. And, and that's sort of, I think, where it comes. And then you start reading some books on the subject um, and it all sort of makes sense and you actually know how to communicate it out. So there's definitely more of an implicit element that in the later years I've sort of connected with, with a more mindful uh, approach to it. But what's, what's amazing to me though, is that, you know, I'm an extrovert also, and I love connecting face to face, but it sounds like you have been able to translate that level of intimacy through these weekly emails because, you know, and I've done surveys like this for 20 plus years, it's rare when you get that level of engagement and people actually writing in notes. Most people like to check the box and do the one to five. And again, having read some of the, the notes, do, do you think that it's because you bring your whole self to work and are sharing, you know, your challenges in quarantine and, and real things about you? Because not everyone can can translate that from being face-to-face to, to sending an email and, and continuing to build those relationships? Yeah, it's interesting. I, and I, it's a great question because it, it's, it's something that I've, I've been ref, reflecting on with myself as well. 
I, I think, and, and again, I, I, without sort of disclosing uh, my age, even though I mean, it's, it's no, I'm, I'm 45, um, but I, I remember growing up, and I don't, don't know how was it in, in, in the U.S., but Israel was a, a concept called a pen pals, where you sort of connected with someone you've never met across the ocean, and you sort of developed a, a writing relationship where you really build a bond. And I remember that some of those relationships and some of those letters have been much more open and, and, and exposing um, than my closest friend's relationship. And I think there was something actually in the distance that create more of an illusion of safety. And so I think that actually when I sit and write, um, it's almost like I'm with myself uh, and the defenses go down. You know, I can sit in my bed at, you know, late at night um, and it just becomes more natural. I think when you stand in front of a crowd, for me at least, yeah, I mean, whatever you want to say, you want to be authentic. And I, I think I can be authentic. Your guards are up. You're trying, you know, all eyes are on you. You need to impress. You need to send the message of, 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 of assurance. I mean, at least that's sort of the, you know, almost like the implicit pressure on yourself. So actually the writing piece in a way um, makes it easier for me or made it easier for me to sort of really sort of be a little bit more or much more even vulnerable and, and, and not to think twice because you can think twice when you write, but be, make it more, more open. So it's funny. It's sort of almost a, uh, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. You talk about vulnerability, and in one of your news, in one of your emails to your employees, you quoted Brene Brown, which I wrote down. You know, vulnerability is not when you're losing; it's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. And I love that you pulled that quote because you know you were being vulnerable, you were being open to how you were experiencing it, and none of us have have control over this outcome, and none of us have ever been through anything like this before. And so I do, I think it starts with that leadership. I mean, people say to me, well, bring your human to work. And what does that mean? And I go back to, it's about honoring relationships. But again, as leaders, if we don't do it ourselves, there is no way that the people that work for you, one level down, two levels down, three levels down, are going to bring their human to work. And that has a human implication, but also a business implication, because you need people to be especially right now open about what they're dealing with. So colleagues can step in for each other and, and we can take care of customers and all of those things. So, so kudos to you. Do, do you think it's something you'll continue to do when, when we go back to work or whatever this new normal is going to be? Yeah, I, I hope I will. I, I want to hold myself accountable. I hope I won't sort of, uh, sort of recede to a, a different, uh, um, or sort of the old way. Um, I, I hope I won't, like, I want to, I really hope that I'll hold myself accountable to do that because it makes me forget what it does to the organization, which obviously is, is the core element, but it makes me feel great by doing it because it's a great just tool for me to reflect with myself, to, you know, digest um, what's going on in my head, but also then, you know, connect with people, which is exactly what I, again, all I'm trying to do here is connect with people. So I hope I will not, um, let myself down and become too lazy to do that or, you know, be distracted by dinners and other things that are happening in, in sort of the normal world. Well, this is, this is my prediction. We'll have to circle back um, a year from now or whatever it is and then see what happens. You know, you and I have talked about rituals and, and my new book is going to be about rituals. 
And one of the ways that we know if something is a ritual is if people go nuts, if it goes away. And so, you know, rituals give us a sense of psychological safety and belonging and connects us to purpose. And so when I think about those letters and, you know, I want you to talk about, you know, some of the rituals that you have with your team also in, in a minute, but as you were talking, I was like, wow, to me, this is starting to feel like this organic, authentic ritual. And my guess is, you know, when people go back and all of a sudden, if there hasn't been one in a month, you might start to hear from people. So we'll have to report back. I, I, I'm with you. And again, what drive, what creates a lot of the drive for me is the feedback from people that, you know, really, really appreciate um, the sharing and the openness. It's not just the update. Again, it's not about just what's going on in the bank. Um, it's, it's sort of um, the opening of sort of, like you said, bringing your, bringing yourself into that and it brings others uh, back. And I think that's the, frankly, that's the most rewarding piece here is it's not just the self-reflection, but opening a door that then, um, you know, brings other in and, and, and hopefully, you know, that creates a ripple effect um, for other doors. And, and that's honestly, that's what we're driven by, right? Is this connection, the intimacy, and then the impact that we can have through those and others. And, you know, that can drive and energize you for, uh, for a lifetime. When, when we spoke in your office a number of months ago, you shared with me a ritual that you have every day with your, with your senior management team from, at the time, it was 9.30 to 9.45 in the morning. And I remember being pretty blown away. There's a lot of team meetings and people that get together, but you're the CEO and you get together with your senior team every day. And you talked about this as a, as a ritual. And I'd love for you to share, you know, the details behind it and even how it's, you know, how it's morphed during, uh, during quarantine. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's literally been now two years um, uh, since we've sort of uh, um, uh, initiated um, uh, this ritual, which which is sort of this daily huddle, which I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit more detail in a second, which was part of a an attempt to put a new cadence of of team um, teamwork uh, interactions meetings um, uh, throughout the year, sort of from starting from the daily all the way to the annual processes, and the idea was very simple of like, hey, look, you know, if we spend 15 minutes together, which is a lot of time when you take, you know, us uh, together and it's stuck there every day at the same hour, um, you know, the idea of sharing something that if you wouldn't have shared it elsewhere might have caused a lot of inefficiencies or frictions or redundancies, um, that's sort of where the logic of the meeting started. That's sort of where the mechanics of it. Hey, let's do a meeting every morning, just check in, see how everyone is doing, any interdependencies, anything is up in the air, what does one need to do from the other? And at the end of the day, even if not every day, something material will come out of it, you know, at the end, um, there's gonna be enough material things that would have saved a lot of times in agony if we wouldn't have had those. What has then happened in, in reality is that it is, just basically serve to bring us much closer together as a team, even though it's 10, 12 minutes, 15 minutes at most, um, and very sort of lightning round type of, of communication. It's just, it's our thing. We all see each other, um, you know, now with Zoom before in person and sometimes people on the phone, but now it's everybody sees each other. Uh, we're checking in. Uh, people feel very open to share, sometimes even just their mood. But the idea was based on three rounds, lightning rounds, one of share something either from the last 
day or from the day to come that you think is of relevance. It could be an interesting meeting you've had. It could be a um, that you're going to be on holiday tomorrow and won't be able to uh, make certain meetings and to let anybody know that if they need you, they can call you on their mobile or um, just to share you know, a new development in the organization. That's the first round. The second round is what we call the stuck round. Of this is your opportunity to just throw in something uh, that you that is stuck. It could be a way of saying, "Hey, Erica, you know we've been waiting now for a week from your team for feedback, and we really need it. Please make sure um, there's feedback." And the idea is not to solve anything; just you put it on the table. You want to take it offline after the meeting? Great. You don't want to take it after the meeting? Also great. But you put it there. And the other option there in the stack is also say something personal. I would go and say, look, I haven't done my reviews uh, for the, you know, for the year, for the month or whatever. Um, I'm behind. I, I need to really finish them. Hopefully, I'll finish it by, by the end of the week. It's almost like a way for you to create an a, a environment for people to hold you accountable. Because if you come the next week and you still say that, um, you know, it's going to be harder for you. But that's sort of the stucks. And then last round, which is not around, is just basically uh, whoever goes first is, is what we say our core value story. And again, the idea there was to um, ensure that we, as, as a team, don't just preach values, don't just learn by heart our values and the behaviors behind that, but actually take the time to reflect on our values in action, as we call it. And the idea is that every day somebody needs, we don't finish a meeting. And if somebody doesn't have a story, we'll sit in silence five minutes until someone figure it out and can convey a story. You tell a value story. And it doesn't need to be heroic. It could be someone who spent 15 more minutes on, on, on something to go above and beyond, or someone who showed care to someone, uh, or someone who just spoke up about something. And it wasn't trivial just to speak about it. And it could be some grand things as well, but we bring it to the table and we make sure we use the language right as well. So you need to say, you know, who is the person? What is the value? You need to tell the story, but then link it to the behavior that is tied to that value. And what has happened since then is like, nobody has any uh, confusion about what are values on their management team. Everybody thinks about this because they don't want to be in a place where they don't have a story to share. So you always sort of think ahead of this meeting, all right, what, where do I see my, our values uh, in action? And lastly, it got to the point where it helped cascade it throughout the organization because, you know, my management team, my team has started bringing that to their teams and to their table. So not everyone has brought it to their daily. Some of them are doing it on a weekly basis, but it's now in a very natural, I mean, beginning, honestly, my view was, oh, we're going to cascade it in a very structured manner. We're going to have daily meetings across the organization. At some point, it felt overly structured and artificial to me. People just took that and either provided a bit of the spin for that, but using the same value, same action, values in action, and it sort of helps cascade it. And at a time like this, everybody speaks the language and everybody knows when we're making decisions now, when we had to rush through this situation of getting out of the office establish a presence, supporting each other, making decisions on a client, on technology, on, on activities that we're doing. Everybody knows the language we're speaking. It's almost like the guardrails are almost 
not just explicitly put, but implicitly put uh, into how we make decisions and how we recognize positive uh, or destructive behavior uh, in the organization. I mean, I love that on, on so many levels. A, a couple of things that come to mind. First, I often talk about you know, the litmus test for how you know if your values are working. I call it the fork in the road. You know, should I hire this person? Should we get everybody from the office to working from home? Should we do this for our our customers? And if your values can help drive those decisions, should you know when you're at that fork in the road, should you go left or should go right? Then then the values are are working. I also talk about how do you get the values off the walls and into the halls? You know, a little cheesy, but when I do talks, you know, every person in the audience raises their hand if I say, does your company have values? And then I say a follow-on question, you know, keep your hand up if if they're real or if people know what they are or if they mean something. And most people can't connect it to the behaviors and the stories. And and to me, what makes it successful is is it's about that alignment. And once you have those values and people understand what they mean, you can then align them to those those business decisions. Yeah, and, and I want to tell, I, I wish I could tell you, oh, yeah, we've perfected. It's working fantastic. And everybody knows and everybody sings. It's not perfect. It's like it's a never-ending uh, work um, and a process. But again, to see the natural um, um, manifestation of that, well, sort of team self-cascading that, how decisions are being reflected and using the behaviors or the language of our values of like, no, that doesn't sit right with, you know, our, our principles um, or our, you know, or the behavior that is, this is not integrity because the way we define integrity is, is, you know, see something, say something, that's integrity. Integrity is not just don't steal and don't lie. Um, and so to me, that's, you know, people are really having those discussions and debates using that, uh, um, dialogue and not just, oh, this is integrity, but what is the behavior? What is the value in action look like? And have we seen it or have we not seen it? And, you know, you mentioned the forks on higher, not higher. You know, we have, and, and that's, you know, we've used to do value interviews, but they were pretty shallow and they were more subjective. Uh, over the last six months, we've worked uh, to really perfect our, our, culture interview and today we have complete separate interviews um so you know you can have a hiring manager uh and and colleagues and others interviewing someone the culture interview is done separately usually not by the hiring department but there's people through the organization that have been trained um and are feeling this and i you know i'll be you know i just got on your podcast here after my management huddle and the core value story that was shared was actually of someone who, after a, uh, and the value was integrity, who after going through uh, an interview of, of a candidate through the culture, basically stood on his, on his you know, two legs or, you know, and said, no, this guy is not a fit, despite that the professional side seemed like a fantastic fit. And at the end, the decision was a no hire, uh, even though everybody wanted to say, hey, it's going to be a good fit. And again, that's an example of how it's really manifesting itself. And again, it's not perfect, but it's great to see it sort of progressing and people 
taking ownership of that and bringing them to their world. Right. Um, well, and so, it's like you, the word you use is perfect. It, it's those guardrails that it's creating this structure and it, it, it changes. And when new people come in, they need to understand it. It will be constantly evolving, but without the guardrails and the structure, you know, there's, there's nowhere to start. So I, I love the story and, and the fact that this, you know, to me, it's, it's a, it's a, double whammy because it's, it, this is a ritual and it's keeping your senior management team so connected. And then the ritual is connected to values. And I'm such a big company values person. So, so I wanted to share the, the story on the podcast. Um, so I have one last question before we get into just a few fun lightning round questions. And the question is, what do you do as a person that makes you feel most like you? What do I do as a person that makes me feel the most like me, watch a movie and eat popcorn, I would say, sort of really, um, that's sort of, that's my, my good place. Um, um, traveling, being on the beach, very non, um, non-treadmill, non-competitive, non-driven, like, you know, makes me feel me is when I'm not, uh, I don't need to prove anything and I can just unwind. Um, that's sort of, uh, my, my place. Do you find it hard to make time, you know, as the CEO of a bank to honor that relationship with yourself, to make time for what makes you feel most like you? Honestly, no. I mean, there's obviously sort of, you know, uh, uh, waves and periods, but I, I, I find that the issue is me if I want to disconnect or not, but I have enough time to do that. And, you know, in normal, in the back, Back old good days, you know, when cinemas uh, were open, I, I think there wasn't a weekend I didn't take uh, one of my kids or both of my kids to see a movie or, you know, watch something as a family at home. And I take, uh, and I've consistently taken all my holiday days. I take about five weeks of holiday every year and we travel and um, skiing or on the beach. So I, I don't uh, um, miss that. Do I completely unwind? Do I disconnect my phone and put it aside for a day? No. But I'm I'm okay with it. I, I still uh, able to disconnect. So I I don't have an issue. I I have a my tendencies to disconnect, and I I do that unless some some you know good old um, you know, Polish Jewish mother guilt creeps into me and, and sort of stops me a little bit. My but I, I don't have issues with myself to get into my good place. That's great. That's great. All right. So to to conclude, just a few fun fun questions. No right or wrong answers here, just so people can get to know you even a little bit better. So would you say you're more creative time or is it midnight or 6 a.m.? Probably midnight uh, to 6 a.m., but, you know, if I'm honest, neither. <laughs> like 10 a.m. Yeah. is a good time. I hear you. Uh, guilty pleasure, sweet or savory? Together, both of them, like chocolate with popcorn, like melted, sort of pieces, pieces with, with uh, popcorn. Favorite karaoke song? Last show binged on Netflix or Hulu or whatever your go-to. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, now that I've, I've seen the last one, um, Berlin, Babylon, Babylon, Berlin. And the, show. to check it out. And the first thing you'll do when you get out of quarantine. Kind of, sort of, not out of quarantine. So we're we're sort of, um, I'm looking forward to travel, like just getting on a plane somewhere um, is, is something that I, I miss the most. All right. Well, I hope. Before I see you the next time, we will have both been on a plane. 
hopefully in the next in the next couple of months. So Avnar, thank you so much for joining me. It was amazing. I loved hearing about your stories and you and the company and how you're bringing your human to work and and getting everybody else to do the same. So congratulations on how it's been going during quarantine. And I look forward to being in touch. And I'm so excited that you're going to be in my new book, Rituals Roadmap. Very good. Thanks for having me. And again, I just get excited from like the energy across our Zoom. So imagine what would have happened if we were in a in the same physical space. It was really, really uh, great. And and thank you for asking. Um, you know, you you're you're easy on me now, but asking the right and tough questions um, that sort of makes you uh, always think um, about what next, what do you need to do, and and for also carrying the same sort of passion in the bug for for culture and human connection. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Avnar. Thank you for tuning in this week to Left to Our Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly newsletter, text the word HUMAN to 66866, or you can connect with me by email at erica at spaghettiproject.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you next time.